House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. We are at the interview part of the show. Uh, joining us today uh, is John Michelson, author, and um, we'll find out what else. So uh, thank you for being here, John. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. John, so how did you get into, um, this was later in your life, so what, what made you get into writing um, gay mystery, suspense, thrillers, and fiction? Well, I've been writing for a long time. I started probably about seven or eight years old, just writing short stories, mainly for family, reading them and having fun with them. But I, I did major in English in school and uh, broadcasting as a, a sub-major and Right after school, just joined the uh, the workforce, the corporate world, and tried uh, applied my writing trade as I could in the evenings. And unfortunately, never just came about. I got uh, lots of rejections, as most people do. And uh, then corporate world took off. Uh, pretty much took my entire time, and stayed with one company for close to 20 years before retiring. So it wasn't until I retired in 2009 that I really put more focus into uh, trying to get something published and uh, complete. So about 12 years now, 11, 12 years now, I've been publishing. Wow. So do you find it's um, pretty difficult to get published when you're writing a, a gay mystery theme? I don't think it's the gay mystery theme that is the issue. I honestly believe it's more the experience level and name recognition. There are so many writers out. Everyone's trying to be the next Stephen King or Patricia Cromwell. So as you can imagine, they're getting hit from all sides, and social media has just quadrupled that. Yeah, yeah. So when you put together a story, like when you put together a mystery, um, uh, like your, uh, I believe what your newest one is, um, The Deadwood Murders. Correct. Uh, now, when you put together something like that, um, where does that story come from? Like, where, Do you have a certain place you go to or a certain thing you need to um, make this happen? There, there could be several uh, things that influence me, but obviously everything comes from my mind, comes from out of my head. I'm influenced by what I read, and I read quite a bit. I'm influenced by daily life, things that are happening within the news, what, what catches me, what's important, uh, what's interesting. And uh, from there, uh, I don't know, the bug just starts to, to roll and uh, ideas and thoughts and what ifs begin to materialize and effectively become a story. Well, it's interesting in the sense that, so when you say, um, you know, the way the world is and what's going on, it affects you in the news. So with things like today, like when we've got COVID and we've got the Black Lives Matter and the, and the um, the protests and, and uh, the, the nutball president and stuff going on. When Absolutely. You've got, when you've got all of that, does that just make it a darker story that you write, or do you actually take from that? Like, uh, like are you making your officers going to be um, uh, have the same issues that we see in the world? Well, ironically, I do take from that. And prior, uh, this book, The Deadwood Murders, of course, was published late December of last year and was completed in the summer of last year. And 
I actually have a pretty significant portion of the book that is covered by protesting um, the Atlanta cops and the cop that's involved in the main murder mystery plot. So um, a lot of similarities in what's going on today relative to what was happening in Atlanta fictionally in my book at the time. So uh, it just worked out where I had already written it and was already involved. But speaking of what's happening today, such as COVID, I, I can't think of a writer not addressing that if they're writing current material, which I do. I write in the current day. Um, I don't write things that happened 15 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, you know, and start from there. I'm writing in current day, which can be a little bit of a challenge because you are assuming some things that are going to be happening, especially if you're trying to write something current that you need to have closure to before closure actually happens so you can get it off to your, your editor. Um, but, yeah, I, I think we're all going to have to address COVID in some way, and I really do believe we're going to have to address um, police violence, uh, the perceptions, uh, and just what's going on in the country. I don't think you can ignore that. Right, right. But uh, So I guess you have to be careful, but on, on, on how you address it, like what direction you go into, because, you, you know, it could be wrong. Absolutely. And one thing that I made a point to particularly to provide as much credibility as I could to my officers and of the Atlanta Police Department is I contacted the Atlanta Police Department to ask for their assistance in writing fiction because I wanted to address them as realistically as possible. And I happened to know they had a gay and lesbian liaison to the community at the time that I began my first book, Pretty Boy Dead. And they assigned someone to me through their communications department. And we've since become friends. He was a gay police officer at the time. He's now retired. He and his um, husband both were Atlanta police officers, met on the job, married, retired. But um, I've worked with him now for two books. Hmm. Well, so, so it's important to have um, good research in, to make it realistic. Um, do, do you do other things as well other than just uh, those two police friends? Yeah, I, I talk to a lot of people in the community relative to what I'm trying to portray um, for, through a character. Uh, many of my characters are based off actual people that I know, so names are changed to protect the innocent, of course. <laughs> but I, I do have conversations, particularly if I'm dealing with professions, like in the very first book I was dealing with uh, erotic dancers and new dancers, so I had many conversations with people that live that life and um, so forth, so to make it as credible as possible. So I, I do tend to get out, and I try to touch base with all of the areas. Um, I'm political in a sense that I like to follow politics, and there's political angle within the first book as well. Can you tell us a little bit about the genesis of Kendall Parker? You know, ironically, uh, people ask me if it's the alter ego of myself, and my first answer is no, absolutely not. Um, do I admire him? I, I do, but he's not a perfect person. He's broken uh, when we first meet him in the first book of Pretty Boy Dead. But at the same time, he, he is um, struggling to get his life back together, and uh, he does. Uh, and the first book introduces him. He happens to be a 10-year closeted homicide detective, uh, one of the most successful homicide detectives within the, the department. But it, it's not until the case that he is assigned in the first book that pits him against his five-year patrol partner, uh, homicide partner, because he's a bigot. So that sub 
friction is what ends up creating the uh, astrocytes where Parker has to come out, and he comes out purposely because he wants to make sure that the case is solved and not be um, pushed under the rug, as it were. Wow. Uh, so uh, when, I, when, when we talked to J.D. Horn as an author, he said that um, the characters that he um, always had killed in the uh, books he's written were people <laughs> he knew that he didn't like. <laughs> and so he would, he would kill them off. Um, so uh, do you relate to that? Do you do things to people that, let's say, treat you really badly? Like he, he mentioned like being in a, a lineup and having some really nasty lady calling names and stuff like that. So he took that character and killed her in his book. I can't confess too much, but I will tell you, <laughs> it, it, it does tend to lend some credence, yes. Uh, not all the time. But I, I use a lot of those type of episodes for characters within my stories because I get, I believe it gives more credibility and credence to the individual. And so right. uh, I, I certainly do. Um, not all the time. You know, I, I've got a lot of, when I sit down to write, people ask me, where does it come from? And I say, it comes from my head, but please understand it's months and months and weeks and sometimes years just festering um, in character development and in, uh, you know, how you want to start out at A, B, C, and D and where you want to end up. But for the most part, I write by the seat of my pants. I have a very loose outline. I don't write everything down uh, in an outline and then begin to write. I want it to be as organic as possible. And that's, that's the writing experience I enjoy. Hmm. I just, I, I, I wonder, but in the character development, um, if if you have a character in, in your book that you don't really know a person in real life that that would be an example for that character, where do you go to get that the the development and the and the characteristics? I think it can be a combination of things. I think it can be some people that you admire and some people that have struck you as very interesting where you might take a little piece of this and a little piece of that person and combine them into the character that you ultimately want, the one that you've been thinking about. Um, but for the most part, Kendall Parker came from my imagination and has been with me for a good 25 years. But it wasn't until, you know, 2013 first published, um, the Kendall Parker first, first book, which is pretty, pretty boy dad, um, which actually earned a Landa Literary nomination. So it's quite, quite nice my first time out, but it's a little scary continuing yeah. to write novels uh, so that you don't meet that expectation every time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, it's, it's, it's not a good thing, right? Puts pressure right. on. <laughs> Puts the pressure. pressure, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so it's it's kind of interesting. How much? How far do you want to go with this character? Like, do you have any any plans for, um, uh, you know, for him to live a long time in several books, or are you, are you going to kill him off? No, I plan, have no plans of killing him off, that's for sure. I'll, I'll tell everyone that right now. <laughs> there will always be a happy ending uh, to this series. But, no, I envisioned it as a series in the very beginning, and I probably had a good three books in my mind at the time that I wrote the first book, and I'm probably up to six or seven now, where I've got some rough drafts of, of just, you know, an overall synopsis of the storyline. Wow. So when you take on um, some of the current affairs and political and stuff, do you worry about getting backlash if you get too, um, 
you know, to, to, um, if you show one side, for instance. I haven't yet, and, and I think I just feel that if I'm fair and I'm showing both sides to let the person um, come to their own conclusion, I, I don't want to be a preacher. Uh, that's not my aim. That's not my goal. My goal is to have my characters live and breathe um, current events. And if that doesn't quite end up the way they expect, I think a lot of times when you develop fans in a particular character, then they, they have an idea of how that person is going to react and how they may react to certain situations. So, you know, you want to stay true to that. At the same time, uh, you know, characters grow. Uh, they would be two-dimensional if they didn't grow. So not always are they going to please the individual reader, but at the same time, life experiences helps them grow as they continue forward. So, so for listeners, is this is this book um, a mystery with gay characters, or is an actual gay crime involved? Uh, the most recent one, the Deadwood Murders. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so this one is a gay crime, and I would say gay crimes plural, because the Deadwood Murders happens to deal with a serial killer of gay men through the southeast of the United States. That's being ignored in. Uh, by uh, local to police departments, and no one is paying attention, even the FBI, to ultimately pull together that there is a serial killer that is uh, tracing through the southeastern United States. Until the FBI gets wind, and due to a political influence of a politician, must get involved. And once they do, they need someone to work with them that will help them in that area. And therefore, Kendall Parker is the person they contact the Atlanta Police Department, asking him to go undercover as bait. Hmm. So, well, that's interesting. So when you deal with a serial killer like that, when you create, who, who do you take for um, an angle on that? Where does that come from for, as a writer? Like, um, do you research other serial killers or other gay crimes that have been in that same format? Both. I did both for a couple of years reading every book that I could get my hands on of prolific gay serial killers or even serial killers that weren't considered gay, but they killed, um, you know, both uh, male and female. Um, particularly, I was paying attention to those that were more um, driven by their sexual desires. It's just the killer that I wanted to create of my own, but at the same time, I wanted my killer to be different, not to be the typical serial killer, as it were. And I wanted him to be humanized, so I did a lot of research, a lot of reading, and a lot of uh, true books, uh, true crime novels that I read, and a lot of research on the Internet and in libraries. Mm. So do you think that's true to form, uh, that police um, kind of ignore crimes like that, that are minority-based, like uh, on gay people and stuff? Do you think it's something that... Um, you feel is really going on? I think it can be. I think it can be, and particularly in some of the smaller jurisdictions where you're dealing, particularly in the South, where they just may be overlooking something because it's not something that uh, necessarily is um, interesting to them or that they want to, to uh, promote. What I believe the largest or the biggest issue is is the fact that you've got so many jurisdictions, so many various different police departments, and who manages and who has control, that there's just no central, one central point. And uh, of all of the crimes that exist, yes, there's some national databases, but you don't have the, the, the budgets 
for these local jurisdictions, particularly in smaller cities, to have somebody who's 24-7 being able to, to apply, you know, online and pay attention to what's happening in a certain area. And so, yeah, it's very common for, and that's why you hear today that there's so many serial killers loose within the United States is just because you don't have someone tracking them. Mm. Not on a, not on a continual basis, unless they're come, they've come to the forefront by something that has happened uh, that, that brings them out forward. And then suddenly all of a sudden, instead of one or two, you've got 20 and 30 and, you know, snowball rolls from there. So do you have, do you put any expectations on the books you write yourself? Like, do you, do you hope for a certain outcome? I would say clean. I want the, the book to be as clean as possible, um, professionally produced. I also want um, the story to impact people. And I want them to, by the end of the story, um, not only help, I like for them, I throw red herrings throughout the book. I'd like for them to try and be the investigator the entire time, go along with me and the character and figure it out for themselves. I just, that's just something I enjoy reading. So I try to do that for my readers as well. So you kind of already know um, what the ending is before you finish the book and you lay, um, I guess, clues throughout the book then for the reader. Is that what you're doing? I would say about 85% I know the ending of the book. I might not know exactly how it's going to end, but I know at the very end that, um, you know, X character is either going to be killed or arrested or, or um, you know, goes off into the sunset. <laughs> goes off into the rain. Um, <laughs> so do you, do you want to get into any other style of writing or go further into something different? You know, ironically, um, other than the crime mystery series that I'm writing, I'm currently working on a trilogy that is a little bit different for me. It's speculative fiction, and it has a romantic bent, but not heavy into romance, and, and mystery and suspense plays a definite role. I think everything I write, no matter what I write, is going to have a little bit of mystery and suspense to it. It's just something that I've always enjoyed since I was a child in reading, you know, when finding, discovering the Nancy Drews and the Hardy Boys. And then as you got older into Essie Hinton's work, uh, in, you know, Rumblefish, and uh, that was in This Is Now and things of that nature. I've just always liked that darker element, and particularly crime as I've gotten older. So um, this new series, I, I especially wanted to venture out. I wanted to see if I could write something different that would still have some of the elements people have come to know me by, but um, get into more of a, a, a speculative fiction area uh, in, an, in a town that I love, which is Tybee Island, Georgia. I love the coast in Georgia. Mm. So, so, so are you getting into the romance part of, of male male in, in some of these books and, and mysteries? I am not. That, that's a decidedly different genre that I don't write in. Um, from a male male perspective, um, Pretty much the the trope, if you will, that's expected is by the end of the book, there is always a happy ending. So you're starting off at the beginning as someone finds love, they lose love, love returns, and we all end up happily ever after. And that's the trope for male male. With what I'm writing, I would tend to say that it's more of a romantic love story with two gay men. And I don't follow the tropes. 
and I do that for a reason. That's because I'm including the mystery and suspense elements. Um, so I don't fall into the expectation. And I let my readers up front know this, that it's not male-male romance, because I don't want them to be disappointed purchasing something based on cover or based on the blurb, and then they're disappointed because it doesn't follow the trope that they were hoping to receive. Hmm. So you don't really get into um, um, the relationship so much on, on the characters, or you do, but it's just it's um, at a higher level? I do, and at a higher level. Um, I don't get into heavy sex. Um, there are, I will write a sex scene if it's strategic to the story, if it means something, and it uh, pushes the the uh, the plot along, but I don't add them just to add them, just to have someone something to read. That's just not me. And uh, yes, everyone tried to direct me that way when I first began publishing, and I published a few stories that would be considered more of the male male romance or at least um, quasi erotica, but I just never got comfortable in Elaine. So I backed off and I really started paying attention to uh, creating an image, and that image is in mystery writing. Well, I, I think that's good. I, I know we had another writer on a while ago, and he was from the UK, and he writes the same way you do. Um, but he did say that he was getting um, feedback, you know, like, uh, you know, from fans saying it's a really good story, but where's the cock? You know, that, that sort of thing. I get the same thing, and I have to be honest with you, but I think a writer has to be pleased with what their ultimate, um, you know, writing experience is and the end result, and I'm just not going to let that influence me. The first book doesn't have any romance in it whatsoever. The second book in the series, the crime series, uh, The Dead Word Martyrs, has a slight possibility of a romantic link, and, and my fans have already let me know that they enjoyed that, but it's not heavy at all. It's just subtle. But you do, you do develop the relationships um, with male male characters, and absolutely, in, it's just it's just more of a, more realistic in a sense, right? You know, absolutely, I do develop the relationships, and I think there's somewhat a confusion out there between people in their expectation of understanding of what is male male romance versus what is male male in that you've got two male characters who are romantically involved. And I, I think they cross lines quite a bit. So when people are speaking of them, they may not exactly have the definition correct when they're thinking about male-male romance and the tropes that are expected in a story that's written to be read and what is a love story. Yeah, I think that um, it comes across that way. I think in general, people have expectations when they see it's gay or male-male, right? There's, there's ideas in their head, and it's tough to get them out of that. Absolutely agree with you, and I, I've got proof from reviews. <laughs> yes. So, so they let you know. They absolutely <laughs> let you know. And that cover drives it, too. You've got to be very cautious about the cover that you utilize because a cover can say to one person or to many people, this is definitely male-male romance. And yet that's not your intention. So a, a cover artist along with an author has to be very direct in what they want to portray and um, to the reader because you don't want to give them a false sense of hope. Um, they'll be the first ones to let you know it in a review. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, people are not shy, not online. That is right. You know, um, I, I just wonder if societies, how, how long it's going to take them to realize there's, um, there's a lot more to um, gay relationships than just sex. I think it's taking time, honestly. I will tell you within our, um, I say our, I've got so many friends that write within the genre of gay mystery, but within this genre, I have seen it um, becoming more and more popular, particularly among non-gay readers, where, you know, they might not want the male-mouth sex part of it. They're more interested in two men who are together in a mystery setting or in a subplot of suspense or uh, thriller. Yeah. yeah. At least well, I'm seeing it. Yeah, and I think it's, it's something that grows with time. But uh, I think it's more important to have a really good story. You're writing a really good story, and um, gay is just one of the many factors that go in the story. Your story has to drive the prose, and you can have all the characters that you want, whether they be gay, straight, bisexual, but if you don't have the story to back them up, uh, you've just got uh, two-dimensional characters that are, uh, you know, on paper and you're just reading, but you're not feeling, and feeling is what I want people to do when they read my material. Yeah, so that's kind of what your biggest goal is for people, for a reader, so if when someone picks up your book and they take it home and they read it, um, what is it that you want them to get out of that, just feeling or... I want to emote them and I want to educate them as well as give them reason to think. Um, I give opinions um, from different angles and I use my characters to do that. It's not necessarily my opinion or how I think, but it's the opinions that are out there. And not every one person is correct, but every person is correct for themselves. So it's just using characters to get that point across. I don't like to preach and I'm not a preaching political uh, individual, yet at the same time, there are uh, things that happen in society that can be addressed in certain ways, and from a gay aspect, particularly, I'm from an era, you know, in the 70s and 80s, where, you know, early 70s, we were considered um, abominations, and, you know, before the Library of Sciences and so forth, um, struck uh, being homosexual as a disease out of books, that that was a very interesting time and scary time for people that were gay. So we've come a long way to now have books that are out openly writing about gay relationships in fictional settings of mystery, thriller, suspense, and even non-so. Who do you think your biggest audience is? Do you think, uh, what age group and do you think male or female? Like what, where, where do you think that comes from? Interestingly, I had this question from another uh, individual who I uh, did a recording for a radio program uh, yesterday, and I don't know. I, I thought I knew. I honestly thought I knew by just by people that contact me, you know, through social media. And I figured that I had people that were in their 30s to 50s as mostly my fan base. But I'm seeing it's all over the place. So yeah. I, I, I just don't know. Yeah. It seems like a lot of male-male book writers tend to think it's females um, that are their largest audience, but I, I'm not sure. That's just, I've, I've got that kind of feedback. I don't think for me in, in the fact that because I don't write in the male-male um, subgenre lane, I don't have mostly female readers. 
like some of the others that I can name off pretty easily do um, because they follow within that lane, even though they're covering the subgenres of mystery and thriller and suspense. So I, I think mine, if anything, is half-half, you know, about halfway. Yeah. 50-50. Yeah. Well, do you think that it holds back then if it's a really good mystery or uh, crime fiction or something that it holds back if people know it's a gay, gay character involved or gay cop? Do you think that slows some of the people from buying it? I don't think so, but I will tell you that I've had some feedback in the past where people have not finished the first book, for instance, because they get through about five chapters, and that's that's the you know getting into the murder part of it, and it's brutal, and it's a brutal attack, um, it's a bashing attack, and some people have just put it down, couldn't finish it, and they've been honest with me. It's just too brutal. This is not what I was looking for. So I understand that, and I don't fault that person. At the same time, I've had people that stopped a year or two later, picked up the book, read it, and said, why did I ever put it down? I couldn't, couldn't stop reading it. Yeah, yeah. So it really people, just depends yeah. on where people are at the time in their lives. Right. It takes time maybe to, to get it. Well, you know, and that was – you're talking about Pretty Boy Dead, right? Uh, I am, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you designed that character after me, right, uh, male stripper? <laughs> you better believe it. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, what else could it be? I mean, come on. Well, well we talked about I, I went out and interviewed for strippers um, for the role. So, yes, I interviewed yeah. quite a few, few people, and I did have a personal friend who gave me a lot of the information of that life. Oh, yeah. Well, if you ever need it, just, just give Mike a call. He's still doing it. So I've got the number. <laughs> there you go. Just well, to see my, my name pop up on the caller ID, you know what I'm calling about. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, he, he wants he wants to uh, lane you with money. Uh, yeah. Oh, I uh, need some more character development. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, let's now since there, you now you've lived with your husband for thirty four years. Can you believe that? No, and I was going to say you do not look even. I mean, I I always whenever I hear that, I okay, well, thirty four, add twenty years, that's fifty four, and it, you probably didn't get together right when you were like 19 so you had another 10 years 64 because i could no you, you don't <laughs> look 64 i'm not quite there but i have hit that magical age yes i'm 60 i turned 60 in january wow. and my husband and i met in a bar of all places in 1986 um it was july 3rd it was the 4th of July weekend, we met, began dating, and moved in September 29th of the same year, and we've been together ever since. Married for five years when the Supreme Court struck down the uh, not allowing gays to get married, of course. Yeah. So 34 years together, married five years legally. <laughs> crazy, crazy world. But that, it goes fast, and now Madonna's a grandmother, and here we are. It does go fast, and people ask me all the time, do you, do, you know, does it feel old? Do you feel like you've been with this person for so long and it's just, you know, you're just friends? And I said, no, uh, we've, we enjoy so much, comp each other's company so much, it's ridiculous, that it just feels like it's new, it's the same, it's just through a three-year-old relationship. We actually, not only do we live together 24-7, we actually now work together 24-7, and I've been doing that for 11 years. That's pretty incredible. And and 34 years in, in, in gay years, it's got to be at least 150 in straight. I would agree with you, and I have a wrinkle for every one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, it's only been 21 for me, so I'm, I'm not as uh, as much as you, but uh, I understand. Well, we got together, you know, during a time that was very tough. Obviously, the uh, the mid-80s when AIDS was pretty much exploding and a lot of our friends were dying left and right. And, you know, for some reason, uh, something brought us together and we stayed together during that time frame. Don't know if it was just fear or that literally the relationship was something we were both looking for. Neither one of us thought that we were looking for a relationship, and it just happened. We shared a lot of same friends. Um, ironically, individually, we didn't know each other, but we had a lot of the same friends, and it just worked out. That's how it works, you know, quite often, um, I think. Uh, and, and they become, it's, it's like family, right? You become family. So. Absolutely. It was a mutual bartender that introduced us both, a uh, mutual friend. Yeah. That's how it goes. Wow. So what is next for John Michelson? Well, as I mentioned to you earlier, I have the trilogy, which um, the first book was Prince of the Sea. I've got two others planned that I've drafted. Um, the synopsis for the second book, I've already probably written half. So I'd like to get that finished this year and get that out prior to um, coming out with another Kendall Parker novel, which I've already been Working on as well, I've written a good 10 chapters into it already, and I've, I've got the outline. Um, you know, when I say flush out, I don't mean by detail, but I've got a pretty good idea where I have the book going. So I'm hoping to also get that one out, um, which I already have the title of that, and it's Murder on Peachtree. And I'm hoping to get that out early 2022. When did you, I, I was going to say, when did you gain confidence enough to know that you are comfortable in your writing like that's all that's always something that i struggle with every single book and every, every you know every year you go through this um do you ever get to the point where you're feeling confident in what you're writing is is good i don't know if you ever do i can tell you that i've been afraid every since i sent out a book <laughs> every time yeah. um but i did gain some confidence on um, when Pretty Boy Dead was published, and to get the nod of a finalist making the finalist in Gay Mystery, that probably was the precipice when I realized, okay, what I'm writing might be okay, and I can keep going. Yeah, start hanging out with Oprah Winfrey and all that now. Yeah, because you have your family and friends, they'll read it, and they'll all tell you how wonderful it was. They couldn't put it down and so forth. But I think until you have the general public and then certainly – you have colleagues that are out there telling you that it is so, and you, you get recognized for somebody like Lambda Literary, then you begin to feel a little bit more confident with each story. What, what kind of advice would you give someone if they, if they wanted to publish a book? Brand new writer uh, out there in, in the field of crime fiction, um, what would you say to them? The very first thing I would tell them to do is read, read, read. Read as much as you possibly can. And it's because it's gonna help you get better. Um, many people will dive into writing. I did this myself. You just dive into writing because you've got to get all these stories out of your head. And you're writing furiously and you're getting them down. And you finish one story, you start another one, you start and you start. But sometimes you're afraid to send anything out because you've really had no one telling you or showing you or educating you relative to your writing skills. And that will hold a lot of people back. Reading helps you to educate yourself, not only through formal schooling, such as going through school in journalism or English and so forth, but 
once you get out of school, you still have to learn the trade. You still have to, con you know, learn to continue to, to enhance your overall skills. And that's where I believe reading comes in. You know, today the environment is even crazier within the publishing field because there is so much online now and online self-publishing has just exploded. So where you may have had thousands of writers to compete against 20 years ago, now you got millions. Yeah, so yeah. It, it is, um, you know, I, I would always say read, read, and read, and don't be afraid to send your material out. Just keep sending it out. I'm going to tell you, I'll be the first one to tell you, you'll fill a shoebox with rejections within a year. Just keep doing it because somebody is going to like what you're reading. You're going to get someone's attention, and that's what I did. Well, that's, that's good advice. Anybody that you'd like to meet as a writer? Any, any writers that you'd like to meet or anything? Yes. <laughs> I would love to meet. I'd love to meet. Uh, as a gay writer, I would love to meet Michael Nava. Uh, Michael Nava is a writer that I have enjoyed starting to read his books in the 80s, and I followed every single one of his novels, and I've read them all. And it wasn't until much later in life when I began publishing that I actually had an opportunity to meet him online and actually become a friend. So I'd like to meet him in person. That's, that's probably one of the ones that I would like up front. Mark Zubro, same thing. I was a fan of his in the early 80s. I even wrote him a fan letter. I still have a copy where he wrote that. Um, and I've gotten to know him as well, um, but not in person. So I'm hoping at perhaps a convention or uh, passing through town in either each other's towns that we'll get a chance to meet. From a uh, national perspective, uh, David Baldacci, John Grisham, those are two, uh, Patricia Cromwell, those are people that I have loved their books, and, and I'll eat every one of them up. And Stephen King. Stephen King, I read his books when I was in high school and college, and they, you know the kind of books you're supposed to hide from your teachers because you weren't supposed to read them. Um, being so young, and, and he's he's a person that I think is not only prolific, he's a fantastic genius when it comes to writing. Yeah. It's too bad. The, the, a lot of his movies have been terrible. The movies are terrible. Yeah. And I, I tell most people, when a book is converted to a movie, it's almost impossible that it's going to be the same. The reading experience is just so personal. Yeah. And it's hard to translate everyone's personal feelings to that movie when you've got just a certain block of time to put it within. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, they, they seem to be done really, really cheaply. Um, I have not been pleased with any of his books as a movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what we have. Um, now, um, do you have a website or a place that you'd like people to come find you? Yeah, absolutely. My website blog is just my name, so it's John Michelson run together, and there's no H in John. So it's J-O-N-M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S-E-N dot com or dot net. You can find me there. The blog, I feature a writer of gay mystery thriller suspense every week, each Friday. For a solid week, I feature an exclusive excerpt of their novel. And that's been going on for seven years now. I've managed to keep that up, along with coincides with a, a face group Facebook group by the same name that I have where we've got roughly uh, 1,100 avid readers of the genre. Wow, that's great. Now, what we'll do is we'll put your um, book up, your website as well, on ours so people can 
one click, and if they're listening, they can um, find you. Well, um, you can also let them know in honor of your show and the, what I've been doing this week. I've put them on sale. Every one of my books is on sale this week uh, for about 10 days at 99 cents ebook. Well, there you go. Great. You heard it here. You heard it here first. Absolutely. <laughs> well, maybe. Uh, but <laughs> no, this is first. You've got it first. <laughs> well, there you go. See, we're at the top of the top of the barrel. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate um, you taking the time and um, and talking about writing and and some of your own experiences in the book. Um, so again, our guest has been John Michelson, and uh, we've been focusing on all of his book, but his newest one is called The Deadwood Murders. Thank you for being here, John. It's been a pleasure, and thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much, John. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.